Let's pray and ask God to meet us in the Word. Thank you for what Paul wrote in Romans, that through the Scriptures we have hope. And hope is one of the hallmarks, Lord, of the early church. This rock-solid certainty that the future is good. And I pray that you would fill us with hope. Not wishful thinking, but, but like solid knowledge, certainty that the future is awesome. So would you do that through your word this morning, I pray? Help me. Give me wisdom. Give me the heart you want me to have. And, uh, and use your word, Lord, now to, to move us ahead as a church, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, good. Have you ever uh, asked yourself the question, what's really going on here? Here's what I mean. So you, you, you notice you're alive. <laughs> How did that happen? Okay, and, and you've got this amazing body. How did that happen? And, and here you are in this amazingly huge solar system on a beautiful planet Earth, which has had a long history and lots of other people around who have been given life as well. And just to ask, so what's going on here? What's really going on here? It's an important question to ask um, for a lot of reasons, but one, one reason is because wisdom, if you think about it, at least one way of describing wisdom, is wisdom means aligning your life with what's really going on. That's wisdom. Okay, I thought of an example from my jury duty. So if, if I'm there in the, in the courtroom and somebody's giving a testimony that could either cause this person to be d- decided to be innocent or spend the rest of his life in prison, if that's the weightiness of what's going on, then wisdom would mean aligning myself with the weightiness of that and listening really carefully. It would not be wise if I'm snoring, taking a nap, Okay, or if I'm talking to the juror next to you about like the you know the 49ers draft choices they got coming up, I mean that that's not wisdom. Wisdom means aligning your life with what's really going on. And so for these past months now, we've been talking about what's really going on. It's the story of God. And what we've seen is that what's going on is all about God. It's all about who He is and what He's up to. And so we saw, starting back in eternity past, that God has always been without any beginning. And he's always been full of exuberant celebration in beholding his perfections. His goodness and his power and his wisdom and his might. Just passionate, exuberant joy in who he is. And that joy is what moved him to create. He decided to display his perfections, his glory, so that he could share with created beings the joy he has in beholding his perfections. And so he created a universe. And he created a beautiful planet Earth. And he created you, gave you life, and gave you the body that you have, and created other people around that you can see. And all of this is to display his glory so he can share with us his joy in his glory. And so he created us and he promised us, I'll provide everything you need. I will guide you in every decision you have to make. I will, 
uh, most importantly, I will satisfy your heart with who I am. Satisfy your heart in, in, in my very presence. And I will do this for you forever. That's what he said to Adam and Eve, and by virtue of us being connected with them to all of us. I'll do this for you forever if you will simply bend the knee before me. Acknowledge that I'm your creator. Trust me, love me, worship me, obey me. If you'll acknowledge who I am for the rest of eternity, I will provide for you, I will guide you, I will completely satisfy you with who I am. That's the situation we had. We had it made. What happened? We all mutinied against God. And we, we took over the ship of planet Earth. We all just said, no, we want to run things. I will not bend the knee. Even though we'd received life and bodies and everything we have from our creator, we wouldn't bend the knee to him. And so God removed his blessing from planet Earth and allowed planet Earth to come under his just curse. So we experience now and Eternity means we're going to be facing his punishment forever. This is what we've all faced. Now, you would think at that point that God's plan has miserably failed. Not so. The Bible is very clear that God purposefully allowed, ordained all that to take place because that would yield an even greater display of his glory. His perfections, namely the glory of his mercy, his compassion. God chose, as he looked down on all of us, mutinying against him, he chose instead of destroying us, he chose at terrible cost to himself to have mercy on us and compassion on us. So God the Father looks down upon us. We deserve to be punished forever for our mutiny, our ongoing mutiny. And God chose to send his son Jesus. Jesus, would you go? And God the Father loves his son. But because of his love for us, as unworthy as we are, God chose to terribly punish Jesus on the cross with the terrible punishment that we deserve for our mutiny so we could be forgiven. And Jesus willing in all of this, out of love for us, looking upon us, unworthy of this. We deserve punishment. Jesus is willing to come and to be terribly punished. I mean, you think of the cross, the horrifying punishment Jesus endured on the cross. He was willing to do that so we could be forgiven. I mean, picture a a ship captain taking off his shirt, tying himself up to the rigging so he can receive the 39 lashes for the mutinying crew. That's the picture we have here. And all of that is an amazing picture of God's love. His mercy. Listen, God's love and mercy is so amazing. It should, it, there's a sense which it should frighten you. That's what he's done. That's what's happened. And then he raised Jesus from the dead so that no one would think he was just a criminal. And what that all means now is that when you do 
bend the knee before Jesus, when you turn from your mutiny and you bend the knee before Jesus and you trust him, at that moment, all of your mutiny is forgiven. Past, present, and future. Your heart is changed. You love Jesus. You love bending your knee before him. And you're progressively changed more and more and more until eternity. And you're clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. His perfect, moral, blameless life is given to you as a gift. God promises to provide for you. He cares for you. You're restored to know him. He's your father. You're adopted into his family. And you have the heart-satisfying joy of knowing him forever. Doesn't stop there, though. Jesus then calls you. He says, okay, now, we're not done. I want you to commit your life to my cause. Make my cause the center of your life. I want you to fight mutinying when it rises up in your heart. Fight against sin. I want you to be part of a group of brothers and sisters in Christ-centered community. Help them when mutinying rises up in their hearts to fight against their mutinying sin. And I want you to go out and talk to other ships' crews who are also mutinying and urge them to bend the knee because they can be forgiven as well. Now, he warned us. He said, many will respond and will bend the knee and be forgiven and saved, but many won't, and you'll suffer. But I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. In the midst of your suffering, I will be there, comforting you, satisfying you, strengthening you. And when I return at the end of history, after every nation and tongue and tribe have heard the gospel, when I come back and you see me face to face, it will all be completely worth it. So go into all the world, make disciples of all the nations. Lo, I'm with you always. Goodbye. And then here we are, okay? And we're pursuing it, and then he comes back. It's worth it all. And at that moment, eternity begins. Now, what I want to do this morning as we bring this series to a close is tell you four events that inaugurate the beginning of eternity. Eternity begins. And the first one I want to talk about is how those that are trusting Jesus are resurrected. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 to 44. If you need a Bible, I'd like you to raise your hand. We want you all to have a copy so that you can look on. We want to go through the Bible here. We like the Bible. We love the Bible. Mm, we feast on the Bible. So 1 Corinthians 15, 42 to 44. Let me set the stage. There's two different ways this could play out for you if you're trusting Jesus. Okay? If you die before Jesus comes back, your body will be buried, you will immediately go to be with Jesus in what he calls paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise, right? That's if you die before Jesus comes back. If you're here before Jesus comes back, then you'll be here when Jesus comes back, okay? And um, both... The moment he comes back, you'll be resurrected. You'll receive your resurrection body. If you're alive when Jesus comes back, your body will be instantly transformed. Okay? If you've already died, your body's been buried, and you're with him, he'll bring you back. Your, res- your dead body will be raised, transformed, and you'll have your resurrected body. So whether you're alive or whether you die first, at the moment he comes back, you'll receive your resurrection body. What's that body going to be like? Three things from this passage. Let me read the verses, and then I'll walk through them. Verse 42. So... Is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown when you first received your present body is perishable. Your present body is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor because of sin. We're under the curse, dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. Because of the curse, because of sin. It is raised in power. 
It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Okay, first of all, verse 42, your resurrection body will be imperishable. It will never die. Your present body now, because of the curse, because of your sin, it's genetically wired, it's dying. Unless you're like before, was it 21? Okay, I'm way past that point. My body is moving towards death, and so is yours if you're beyond that age. Your resurrection body will not be moving towards death. Just get this in your mind. You will live forever. There's no mere mortals in this room. This is an amazing thing to think about. Everyone who's sitting next to is going to be consciously existing forever. Imperishable. Secondly, your resurrection body will be glorious and powerful. That's in verse 43. Now C.S. Lewis has this very interesting quote where he says, when we see each other with our resurrection bodies and glory and power, we'll be tempted to bow down and worship each other. I think he's right. But I think it's also important to say we'll be tempted, but we won't. Because when we see each other with these glorious, powerful resurrection bodies given to us, we'll be thinking, you, you'll be th- I'll be thinking about this, you, you'll be thinking about this for me. What, what this person deserves wasn't a glorious, powerful resurrection body. This person deserves hell. How'd they get this glorious, powerful resurrection body? Jesus suffered to purchase for them all the, the blessings of salvation, including this amazing, glorious, powerful body. You got one of those amazing bodies because of Jesus. And we'll all, with all of our glorious, powerful resurrection bodies, we'll all turn and worship Jesus for what he's done. We will receive an amazing gift, glorious, powerful body. You might be tempted to worship each other, but you'll know better. How can you worship somebody who deserved hell who's received that amazing gift? You'll worship the giver. Okay? Third, it's a spiritual body. And it doesn't mean it's like Casper the Friendly Ghost or, you know, kind of a flimsy (laughs) spiritual thing. The word body shows that it will be a body. It's a physical word. Your your resurrection body will be more physical than your present body. More real than your present body. Many of you thought it's kind of like, we're all kind of like vague, whispery little spirit things with our harps. And No, 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 man. You, you are going to be a man. A woman. Your resurrection body is going to make your body now look like Casper. Okay? See, matter is not evil. Who made matter? God did. And he said, very good. Sin has screwed it all up. But God loves. He's made matter. He's made our bodies. You're going to have a body that is more real, more material, more physical. I know that kind of sounds weird, but that's just how it's going to be than your present body. But it will be a spiritual body. And what that means is it's going to be perfectly gifted to be blown away by who God is. So I tried to think of an illustration. I've got really bad eyesight, like maybe 2100. Okay, I wear contacts, and this one's for reading, and this one's for long away. It's kind of complicated. Anyway, it works. But um, if you had like 2100 vision with no contacts, no glasses, you would still be blown away if you took that drive through that tunnel and there's Yosemite Valley in front of you. You'd still be blown away, right? 
You say, wow. But then imagine what would happen if somebody said, it's pretty cool, huh? Now, now put these on. And you put glasses on. Whoa! That's how it would be, right? Now, your body, your mind, your senses are like 2100 when it comes to beholding who God is. Your spiritual body will be like 2020 when it comes to beholding who God is. As much as you see now, it'll be, whoa, with your new body. That's pretty cool, huh? Imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual body. If you're trusting Jesus, this will happen to you. Second, those not trusting Jesus will be resurrected and judged. Everybody gets resurrected, both those who do trust Jesus and those who are not trusting Jesus. But if you're not trusting Jesus and you will not be resurrected to eternal joy, you'll be resurrected to eternal punishment. Okay? Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. This is page 1040 in the Bibles we just passed out. Revelation 20, way back to the right, last book of the Bible. Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Page 1040. Here's what John saw. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. God. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, describing all all our mutiny. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So God will divide humanity into those whose names were written in the book of life and those whose names were not. Okay, so what does it mean to have your name written in the book of life? This is really huge. If your name is not written in the book of life, then you'll be thrown into the lake of fire. So what does it mean to have your name be written in the book of life? In Revelation 13, 8, the book of life is described as belonging to the lamb who was slain. The book of life belongs to Jesus. So the way to have your name written in the book of life is by trusting Jesus. That's it. Trusting him as Savior, trusting him as Lord, and trusting him as treasure. That's what the scripture means when it talks about trusting Jesus. So here's how you can know if your name is in in the book of life. You can know right now. You can know right now. Are you trusting Jesus as your Savior? 
That is, are you relying on him alone, his death on the cross and his righteous life as the only reason you can be forgiven and accepted by God? Not your goodness, not how spiritual you are or how religious you are, not the fact that you're in church today, but Jesus' death, his blood, his righteousness. He alone is why I can be before God. His worth, not mine. His righteousness, not mine. Are you trusting Jesus to be your Savior? Second, are you trusting Jesus to be your your Lord? Which means that you long that every part of your life be submitted to his will. doesn't mean you're perfect. No one is the sight of heaven. But it means that you want every part of your life submitted to your will. There's no part of your life you're saying, I'm not going to submit that to Jesus. That, 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 sure, but, but not that. Because then that's your God, not Jesus. Okay? It means you want to submit every part of your life to Jesus. Every part of your life to his word. Okay? You want that. You long for that. You pray for that. You fight for that. You want. That's what it means to trust Jesus to be your Lord. Are, are you trusting Jesus to be your Lord? Third, it means trusting Jesus is your treasure. Which means that you have times where you, you want nothing else more than just Jesus. You have times in your life where that's your heart. There's times where you, you love Jesus more than anything. And the other times, when you're not loving Jesus more than anything, you, you hate that. You don't want that. That's, that's, that's wrong. Because Jesus is worth more than anything. So there's times where you love Jesus more than anything. The other times you're broken about it. You're repenting over it. You're fighting against that. Okay, That's what it means to trust Jesus as your treasure. So if you're trusting Jesus as your Savior, Lord, and treasure, if you're trusting Jesus, which is what that means, then your name is written in the book of life. You can know that right now. You don't need some pastor to tell you you are. You don't need to go to some ritual. If you're trusting Jesus right now, then your name is written in the book of life. But if it's not, then you will be thrown into the lake of fire. And uh, this is very difficult to talk about. Uh, if, I, if, I was, if I loved you more and if I was more holy, I'd be weeping right now. Uh, it's a terrifying thought. Is it literal? I think it could be. If it's not, then the whole point of an analogy is to, I mean, it's worse than a lake of fire. It's either a lake of fire or it's worse. That's how analogies work, right? It doesn't help to say it's not literal. Probably, I mean, it certainly could be. Either way, it's absolutely terrifying. But it's true, and we have to talk about it. Jesus talked about hell lots because he loves us. It's true, and he loves us. He wants to make sure we understand what's at stake here. Wouldn't be loving if he didn't talk about it. It's true. So look at Revelation 14, 9 through 11. This is one of the most terrifying descriptions. It's page 1036, just back to the left a little bit. Revelation 14, 9 through 11. Another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, that's just referring to people who are not, who are mutinying against Jesus. Okay? You're either 
following the beast or you're following Jesus in the book of Revelation. So you're mutinying against Jesus if you're worshiping the beast and its image and receiving the mark on your forehead or on your hand. And here's what will happen. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, unmixed with, at that point, any compassion. Oh, God is full of compassion now. Jesus would plead with you now to bend the knee. He'd say, look, look at who I am. Look at what I've done. Bend the knee. Be forgiven. It's compassion now. The compassion will not go on forever. Poured full strength. It's pure wrath into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they, this is the part that just gets me, they have no rest, day or night, forever. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. That's terrifying. So put this in perspective some. This will happen to those who, after the captain has said, amnesty is available to all mutineers, I've received the 39 lashes for you. Bend the knee now. You'll be forgiven and restored. This happens to those who hear the captain say that and say, no. And they'll suffer torment consciously, day and night, forever and ever. Okay, so is your name written in the book of life? Is your name written in the book of life? Are you trusting Jesus? Are you trusting him? He loves you. Look at the cross. Look at what he's done. (laughs) Why would you not trust him? What are you going to pursue besides him? Are you kidding me? There's nothing that compares to Jesus. See who he is. Bend the knee. Trust him. Okay, that was a painful point to talk about. Let's go on to the third point. This is much, much more enjoyable. Those trusting Jesus will be rewarded. If you're trusting Jesus, and your name is written in the book of life, then you have an entirely different destiny, heaven. Okay, but first, you're going to be rewarded. Rewarded. All right? The Bible's clear that there's different levels of reward in heaven. Um, Luke 19, you can read it on your own. I'll just give you the overview. Ernie mentioned the parable of the talents this morning. Good one. This, this is different in Luke 19. This is a different parable Jesus tells us, the parable of the minas, not as well known. In this parable, a nobleman gives all of his workers 10 minas, which is about $10,000. Gives, gives each one the same amount, 10,000 to you, 10,000 to you, 10,000 to you. The first one takes those 10,000 minas and goes out and works really hard and makes another 10,000 minas. And the nobleman comes back and says, well done, you get 10 cities. 
second guy takes the 10,000 minas and works sort of hard and produces five minas. And the nobleman comes back and says, okay, that's a good job. First guy got 10 cities. You'll get five cities. Okay, get a reward. Less, but a reward nonetheless. Third guy, hardly worked at all, didn't produce anything, didn't get anything, or very little. Okay? So from that parable, as well as 1 Corinthians 3 and a number of other passages, we will receive different levels of reward depending on our faithfulness. That's what the scripture teaches. Okay, so what's the reward? What is the reward that we're called to pursue all through this life? It's Jesus. Paul says, for me to live as Christ, living is going after Christ, dying just means I gain more of Christ. He says, he counts everything as lost so that he can gain Christ. Okay? Jesus is the prize. And so the reward, the crown, the cities, those are all just analogies for joy in Jesus, knowing Jesus. Okay, so as I think this through, we are all equally saved through trusting Jesus, equally saved, equally justified, equally forgiven, equally loved by God, but some will have more joy in Jesus than others. Here's how Thomas Watson put it. This quote has really helped me. Can you kick it up on the, kick it up on the screen? It's in your notes, too. Pastor in England, 16, late 1600s. He says, Though every vessel of glory shall be full, everyone's going to be full. You'll be full. No one will be empty who's in heaven. You'll be full. Yet some vessels will hold more than others. So we're all going to be full of joy in Jesus forever, but some have a larger capacity for joy in Jesus than others. So I thought, okay, some might be like shot glasses. Others pint mugs, and he might have some like 50-gallon barrels. All right? Now, this has nothing to do with if you're a pastor. Okay, please. (laughs) Or if you're really well-known. No, okay? A totally unknown person in in an unknown job, faithfully laboring to advance the cause of Christ, could be a 100-gallon barrel capacity person, and a pastor could be a shot glass. So you get that? Are we clear on that? Really important. All right. So think about this. If you're, if you're a shot glass for eternity, you are going to be full of joy in Jesus. You will. Full of joy in Jesus. With the shot glass's capacity. Okay? If you're a pint mug forever, you're going to be full of joy in Jesus. Just full of joy in Jesus. Oh, Jesus. With a pint mug's capacity for joy in Jesus. More. Okay? If you're a 50-gallon barrel, then you're going to be forever having, being full of joy in Jesus. Forever full of joy in Jesus with a 50-gallon barrel capacity of joy in Jesus. Now, a couple things. Don't say, oh man, it would be so embarrassing to be a shot glass. <laughs> okay, what do I need to do to do the 50-gallon thing? See, it, that's bad if you think that. Bad, okay? Because then, what's your motivation? What's Rick Jacobi going to think of me if he sees me as a shot glass? Okay, that's what you're thinking. So, 
that's wrong. Okay, it's, what's it all about? Jesus. I want more of Jesus. I want more of you. You are my Lord. You are my joy. You're my Savior. I want more of you. That's the motivation. Okay? Also, Jesus will get the glory for all of this. So let's say you see Paul in heaven. Maybe he's a 500-gallon barrel. Okay? When you see Paul as a 500-gallon barrel, you will turn from seeing Paul to worship Jesus. And here's why. Think about it. Because Paul, who Paul, Paul killed Christians. That's who Paul is in himself. Paul was like me, very proud, arrogant dude, like me. I'm worse, but anyway, he was okay. And the only reason Paul is even in heaven is because Jesus took all the damnation that Paul deserves and said, Father, pour it out upon me. Punish me for Paul. And so all of Paul's punishment was poured out upon Jesus. And then in great mercy, God reached down from heaven and took Paul's heart of stone, proud, hard heart, took it out of Paul. This is never going to work. Let's take that heart out. This is a much better heart. Here, put this in, in Paul. Paul's changed. And God gives Paul a new heart, and God, by his grace, works in Paul's heart in such a way that Paul is laboring and suffering and persevering and going hard after the Lord all the rest of his life in a hundred-gallon barrel capacity way. So when you see that that's true of Paul, you're not going to be tempted to worship Paul. You'll say, you are awesome to do that for him. That's how it's going to work. Hey, now... I hope you can see how this makes the whole Christian life worth it. This afternoon's battle against porn will enlarge your capacity for joy in Jesus forever. What you do today Increase your joy in Jesus forever. You see that? Tomorrow's weeping with the brother in your home group, helping him fight the fight of faith, investing your time and energy to, to encourage this brother, it's going to increase your capacity for joy in Jesus forever. This week's Risky conversation with a friend or a worker or a neighbor about Jesus, humbly, genuinely sharing about Jesus, risking the, the rejection or whatever, it increases your capacity for joining Jesus forever. The way, this is just an amazing thing. Every second of your life is just so hugely important. The way you live your life will impact your joy forever. And then you'll be rewarded. One more step, though. Those trusting Jesus will enjoy God together forever on the new earth. So this heaven and earth will pass away. And God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Look at Revelation 21.1. That's just the next page over. 1041. New heaven, new earth. Revelation 21.1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, we all talk about going to heaven, and, and that's accurate language, it's biblical language, but if that's all we say, it could very easily be misunderstood, okay? Because God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And technically, the place we're going to be spending eternity is on the new earth. The new earth, okay? That's what he says in Revelation 21. And this new earth is going to be more amazing, more real, more physical, more spectacular, more displaying of God's creativity and glory and majesty and awesome wisdom than this present world ever has. But our focus is not going to be on how amazing this world is. We could you know, speculate what's it going to be like. It's not the focus. Where's the focus? Keep reading in Revelation 21, starting in verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's us, those who are trusting Jesus, whose names are written in the book of life. There we are. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God. And he will be my son. Generic, my son and daughter. So see, our focus is going to be completely on God. God's purpose for the universe from way back before eternity was to display his glory for the joy of the redeemed. And in this life, we've had tastes, right? If you're trusting Jesus, you've had tastes, nibbles of God's presence, God's love, God's majesty, God's glory given to you by the work of the Holy Spirit. But as much as we've experienced now, it really is just nibbles, compared to the full feast that will be laid out for us on the new earth. So then, you're going to know God fully. You will see Jesus face to face. God will wipe every tear from your eyes. I mean, if you just don't let that just be words. Think about it. We're talking about God, creator of the universe, God in such a gesture of personal attention and care, wiping every tear from your individual eyes, God, coming up to you, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're saved. Here, no more weeping. No more weeping. God's going to wipe every tear from your eyes. No more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. And it's, it's never going to be boring. 
Forever you're going to be beholding God. It'll never be boring because God's glory is infinite. Every day there's going to be like new, whoa, did you know that? That's awesome. Oh, let's praise him. Come on, Dave, lead us one more time, you know. Woohoo, okay. Every day new like astonishment and gasps of wonder and praise and pleasure as you behold God in his glory. It'll never be, it'll never be boring. And so when you're there, and you see your brothers and sisters, and you see that forever you're going to be in his presence, you will be so thankful for what Jesus has done for you. You will be so thankful for his blood shed for you. You're just going to be bursting with joy and move into praise and worship forever. God's purpose is being fulfilled. He created to display his glory so he could share with us his joy in beholding his glory. That's when you enter into the full joy, ever-increasing joy in his glory. So what do we do now? Two things. Rejoice in hope. Hope in the Bible is not wishful thinking. It's not like I hope so. It's a rock-solid certainty that the future is awesome. So nurture Hope, this kind of hope, rock-solid certainty. If you're trusting Jesus, the good work he started, he will continue. You will be in heaven. He will keep you from stumbling. He will keep you persevering if you're genuinely trusting him today. It's in the bag. It's a done deal. Your future has been secured. You will be there. You will be there. Having every tear wiped from your eyes, seeing your brothers and sisters saying, we had no idea. This is awesome. We're here. It's over. It's all been worth it. So rejoice in hope. Okay, and secondly, increase your capacity for joy in God now. Fight against mutiny when it rises up in your hearts. It does, in all of us, it has in me this morning. Fight it! Kill it! By the word and the power of the Spirit. Love your brothers and sisters. Devote yourself to the brothers and sisters in your home group. Help them fight the fight of faith. Help them kill mutiny in their hearts. And advance the gospel. Share the gospel with your kids. Teach the Bible to your kids. Shepherd, nurture faith in your wife. Love your husband. Your little church there and your family. And then as a little missionary team in your neighborhood, advance the gospel in your neighborhood. Go to Morocco, go to Northwest China, go to Blossom Valley, wherever he calls you, okay? Live your life to increase your capacity for joy in Jesus. Because when you see him and when you're filled with him, he will make it worth it all. Let's stand together. (laughs) Okay, let's pray. These are mind-blowing things, Lord. Thank you for putting them in your word. I pray, first of all, Jesus, please, anyone here whose name is not in the book of life, save them now. Take out their heart of stone now. Give them a heart of flesh now. Grant them repentance. Grant them a bent knee before you, Jesus, now, please. Like you did for me, like you've done for many of us here. We plead with you. 
Save them, Lord, now. Have their name be written in the book of life, now. And Lord, strengthen us to fight sin in our lives, to love our wives, husbands, kids, to love the brothers and sisters in our home groups, to advance the gospel. Strengthen us in these things. We want our joy in you to be all it possibly could be. We want to live to have our capacity for joy in you increased. So strengthen us in this, I pray. And Jesus, thank you. Your death has secured eternity for those who trust you. It is a done deal. You will keep us persevering until the end. You will keep us from stumbling. You will not let us fall away. If we're trusting you now, we can be absolutely certain of that. So we can be full of hope. It's certain. Secured through your death and resurrection. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord.